Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, corporeal and non-corporeal listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, but more importantly, we're pretty good friends. Isn't that right, Ben? Is that what's more important? Is friendship Uh, more important than journalism? I mean, they did make a TV show about it. There's a My Little Pony show. No, it's like Friendship is Magic. You never hear Journalism is Magic. I think every journalism-based TV show has friendship at the core of it. I think I watched this one called The Newsroom. Are you saying The Newsroom was a journalism-based TV show? Yeah, and friendship-based, I think. Oh, I'm thinking of News Radio, which was definitely not. Good. What is the other one called? The the morning show? That one? The thing about like journalism-based TV shows is there's nothing exciting about sitting at a desk and typing or making 37 phone calls in a morning, which is essentially what journalism is most of the time. It's really hard to make that exciting to watch. Hey, man, sometimes you get like a 50% hit rate on uh, on people answering your phone calls. That's that's a good day. That's something to celebrate with a full-length motion picture. That's true. Um, ben is such a good friend of mine that I allow him – well, not allow, I wouldn't say. Wow. I share the podcast and let him uh, – not let, but <laughs> – Poor is the man whose permissions depend on ben, the <laughs> – why don't they? Why don't you just tell people where they can find your work? You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line. And also, I currently have a Kickstarter going on for my new comic book. It's called Dead Air, and it's about a world where one day a year you can talk to the dead, and it moves back and forth between late '90s college radio and early 20 teens kind of uh, adulthood angst and trying to figure out a mystery from the past through a group of friends who thought something that happened to them when they were in college was dead and buried. And it turns out to have a very different significance thanks to this technology. Um, You can find it at deadaircomic.com. That's www.deadaircomic.com. It is on Kickstarter. We have a couple weeks left in the campaign. And I know a lot of you have already supported us. And I really appreciate that. So that's, that's my comic book spiel for today, Sammy. That's it for today. Come on. We're going to do it again later. It's perfect. We might. Um, I really appreciated the last comic book that you, you put out, which is called Code 45. And I think uh, if, if you like that, you're going to like this upcoming one too, right? I certainly hope so. Um, you can find my work on the internet and uh, in newsstands. You can find it occasionally in Car and Driver or Nouveau Magazine, but I'm also at autotrader.ca and driving.ca. Ben, we've got some cars to talk about this week, man. Yeah, we're back on the car beat. Um, After trying something new last week where we talked about Fast and Furious, which is honestly a topic of obsession for both of us. But uh, this week we're back with cars. And I know, Sammy, you drove something that's new, something that's interesting, something that's, shall I say, grand? I did. I drove the 2024 Toyota Grand Highlander all the way in. Yes, sir. No, where did did you drive? Continue, continue, please. In Hawaii. Okay, so. How many Grand vehicles are on the market right now? There's Grand Highlander. That's yes. one. There's Grand Cherokee. That's yeah. two. Yes. There's Grand Wagoneer. That's three. Yes. What else do we got? I think that might be all. But of those, two of them are what? Jeeps? And two of those yeah. Jeeps are names that have existed for conservatively decades. Yes. So along comes Toyota with yep. Highlander, which no one had. They, they, they invented that on their own. And now it's well, Grand Highlander. show or a movie or whatever. It was a movie. There could be only one. But now there's two. And, or a book, I think. And they've, no, there was never a book. <laughs> Trust me, it is not a literary <laughs> classic. Although I do recommend the first Highlander. Um, it's an entertaining movie. If you want to see a man from Belgium pretend to be from Scotland, and then a man from Scotland pretend to be from Spain, but not even bother <laughs> to do the accent, that is how they cast that movie. It was the 80s. It was a different time. And I- you're telling me Toyota watched this movie and that man were like... Yes, we shall name a car after this. No, we shall name two cars after this and create a branding problem. Um, There was also a car called the Mustang Grande in the 70s. It was like a more luxurious version of the Mustang. Ooh. Yeah, it was kind of weird. They had a different roof line, I think, than most of the Mustangs ever first. It's like early 70s, like 72, 73. I could be wrong on that. Uh, But yeah, Grand. So for me, it's always been a Jeep thing. It's just weird to see. I mean, oh, there was also Grand Viterra. Remember that? Vitara. Grand Viterra, yeah, yeah. From Suzuki. Uh, but again, kind of an outlier. So Jeep I is- think there was a Ford Grand Femax. What? 
Yeah, not, not North America. Uh, wasn't there like a, a uh, no, never mind. Um, all this to say, Jeep has kind of owned the grand name for a long time. Here comes Toyota with its own interpretation of what grand should be. How does it hold up? Because as I understand it, it's a three-year SUV, SUV, which both the Grand Wagoneer and the Grand Cherokee now are. Wasn't there also a Grand Prix? Grand Prix, that's right. Wasn't there also a Grand Marquis? Grand Marquis. <laughs> what else is there? But what I'm saying is the Grand Prix and the Grand Marquis have been gone for a long time, yet the Grand yes. Grand Cherokee and the Grand Wagoneer endure. That's true, endure. Um, what was the question you asked? Because I really spaced out while trying to remember you know what's... all the, the cars named after with the word grand in it. I want to also point out that Wagoneer and Cherokee also exist without grand, but pre and marquee, I don't think ever did. Oh, I think there was a Mercury marquee like in <laughs> the, the 60s. Pontiac free. Come Pontiac on. Pontiac free. Yeah, they, they were never like, no, we're not going to go full French with this name. Yeah. <laughs> we have to yeah. have half French, half English. Um, let's talk about this Grand Highlander. This is a car uh, or a crossover, I think, that is a direct response to bigger SUVs in the market that have gained a lot of attention, and even some that haven't, particularly the Kia Telluride and the Hyundai Palisade. If you remember, I'm sure our listeners have heard us talking about these vehicles in the past, I don't know, five the grand, years. The Grand Palisade. And so these ha- these aren't grand in any way. They're big. They're very big. Um, and they push the practicality of the third row in these three-row crossovers. I think another example of a really big three-row crossover that I think people really um, forget about is the Chevy Traverse. That thing has got a huge third row. And when you fold down all those seats, I'm pretty sure this thing can can double as a cargo van. Like No, no one talks about the Traverse. And it's a shame because it's very useful. It's, yeah, it's really not bad. So... Um, Toyota has decided that instead of making the Highlander a little bit more competitive with those, um, those vehicles that I just mentioned, that they'll make a whole new product called the Grand Highlander, um, that may or may not cannibalize the Highlander sales, which are usually quite popular, and, um, will utilize a platform and powertrain that we've seen in other Toyota products and Lexus products. And uh, maybe some future ones as well. I have a question about the regular Highlander. Is there sure. still a three-row version? There's definitely still a three-row version. So I think it only comes in three-row versions. I think you're right. So I'm a bit confused. It's not that yeah. they wanted to add a three-row Highlander. They already had that. And, and we're, right. I, you and I are not fans of the Highlander's third row because it's, you know, no, it's not small. great. So the idea was just to make a usable three-row crossover, I guess. Yeah, and I think, you know what, we should have seen this coming a while back because um, a, car, a car that you're actually going to be talking about later, the Lexus RX. Spoiler alert, For a generation or so, they offered a uh, an RXL. Now, the as far as I remember, I might be completely wrong, but I think the RX and the and the Highlander share a little bit. Well, everything's uh, TNGA now. I mean, regardless, like, it's, okay. it's hard to pick up. It's hard to pick up on what is branding and what's actual platform sharing. Like, but, I, Anyway, but let, let, let's talk about that RXL for a moment. Oof. It had probably the least useful third row um, in existence, even worse than, you know, the, the I don't know, um, Journey, Dodge Journey or something. Somehow Lexus took their most popular product and made it their worst product. Yeah. So I think we should have gotten the understanding that the three row versions of their, of their vehicles, while popular... I don't think we're actually used as a three-row vehicle. There are used, say, you know, occasional third-row third vehicle, and probably more often than not, the third row was folded flat for extra cargo space, and everyone was happy with that. And I think that's true of almost every three-row vehicle that is not a full-size SUV like a, like a Suburban or, a, or a, an Expedition or a minivan. Mm-hmm. I think those are really the only three-row SUVs where the third row is regularly used. I think for most buyers who buy a three-row, it's the idea that they need to pinch hit every once in a while, whether that's because they're picking up their friends' kids in addition to their own kids after school one day, or whether it's grandparents who have family visiting and they want to be able to take the grandkids around. I I feel like really that's the the whole business model for most three-row vehicles. Well, yeah, so that's how we land at the Grand Highlander, which I think bridges the gap between a minivan uh, the Sienna in particular, and the Highlander. So I think this is something, um, actually it might, it might not be bridging the gap. This should probably be a next step, at least in terms of how it's priced, 
um, above the Sienna. I don't know if the Sienna is already pretty expensive. It's very expensive and very practical, very useful. So are you telling but, me that the Grand Hi- the Grand Highlander is even more pricey? Oh yeah, I think so for sure. Um, I'll tell you, it starts at. I had all this information, and you know how I you know how I work. Uh, it starts <laughs> at a very reasonable forty three thousand dollars, and it tops out at closer to sixty thousand dollars. Um, a main reason they can they can pull off all of these uh, th- this twenty thousand. Um, dollar price difference between the grades is that it has three different powertrains, um, two of which that we're very familiar with, and one of which that is brand new. And I think we'll put um, some separation between it and the other three-row crossovers in its class, which is to say, it's a crossover, not a like body-on-frame or truck-based SUV. Um, Toyota does have one of these. I think it's called the Sequoia. Um, and the Forerunner, those are the two truck-based SUVs. This is not one of those. This is more of a. And you're uh, saying there's a twenty thousand dollar price difference between the the base and the and the top trim. Yes. And what's the top trim price again? Uh, fifty eight thousand before before delivery and okay, okay. and uh, freight or whatever. Just wanted, to situ- just wanted to situate myself there. Okay. So um, first of all, the two powertrains that we are familiar with is the um, Turbo Four that is found in the regular Highlander. It is a two point four liter. Um, turbocharged engine it makes uh 265 horsepower and it's mated with a an eight-speed transmission okay there's also the hybrid powertrain regular hybrid powertrain which is which is shared with the highlander hybrid that one makes 245 horsepower now if you're with me you're, you're listening to these two numbers and you're like those don't sound all that impressive 265 or 245 hit me with that okay. torque hit me with that torque. The, the, the torque is okay the turbo gets uh 310 pound-feet of torque, which is actually pretty good, especially when you compare it to um, the torque figures that are found in those um, Korean twins or, or Korean SUVs. Um, but the big deal here is the hybrid max powertrain, which makes 362 horsepower and 400 pound-feet of torque. This is a, a just more ro- – I think the best way to describe it is a more robust hybrid powertrain. It uses the, the turbo engine and a hybrid powertrain to give you that much more, more horsepower. I think 300 – and 62 horsepower and 400 pound-feet of torque is excellent. Um, it feels really good on the road, and the fuel economy on this thing is pretty decent. It's rated at 27. I think it's probably better than that. Um, 27, and, 27, like combined. Yes, combined. Um, and I also found that if you're really concerned about your gas bills, the regular hybrid, man, you'll get 40 miles per gallon on that easy. I think that's that's an easy car to get 40 miles per gallon with. Now that forty miles per gallon, am I going to get that when I have all three rows occupied? I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's the big difference. Maybe I was just driving it around with with nobody else in, in it, Hawaii so. by yourself. Yeah. So um, I think it is rated for thirty six miles per gallon. I really do think that it's it's achievable to get uh, a little bit more fuel economy in it. Okay, so you've driven so, the Highlander <clears throat> before. You yep. were on record as being unimpressed, just very average impression. I'm yeah. assuming that this is the same vehicle, just longer. And no, it's different a different power, platform. Different, it's a oh, different platform. Totally different platform? How yeah, is that it even ha- possible? <laughs> no, <laughs> but I, I'm just saying maybe possible. I don't believe them. <laughs> no, it is it's definitely possible. They decided to use um, TNGA. It has a, 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 another letter after it. I can't remember oh, what it's called goodness. now. TNGA. Uh, K. There you go. TNGA K. TNGA K. And I'm okay. supposed to feel that that's somehow different from TMGAL or TMGAJ. It's got a wider track, a longer wheelbase. Um, it's huge, man. It, it is very, a very big. version. Yeah, of the TNGA. Okay, so it's the same. <laughs> it's a I, different I, wheelbase. I guess what I'm saying is it's it's like fundamentally it's a highlighter that's wider and longer, right? Yeah. Does it look like that? Yeah, it definitely looks like that. It look it looks very anonymous. If you were to ask me, it looks very anonymous. I don't think you can. I don't think it's it's particularly uh, easy to point one out in a crowd. I very much, you know, pointed at it and been like, "What is that again?" Um, which is not a good look for for a Toyota product. If you were to park it beside a normal Highlander, I think you'd be able to tell. Size wise, it is wider. Um, it's taller. It's a little bit easier to point that out. The wheelbase is is significantly. I mean, four inches longer. Um, and the overall length is uh, is about seven inches longer. So it is it's a big vehicle. And when you're inside it, this third row, you got to hit me yep. with the business. Also, does it have that removable cooler in the second row? 
No, I don't know what that is. It does not have that. What do you mean you don't know what that is? I don't, don't remember that, a removable. Don't they cooler? have that multifunction seat for the center section for the second row in the in the Highlander that can do like all sorts of different things? It can be like a seat. It can be a, a console. It flips up. It flips down. It does I a think laundry. That was the pilot. Is that the pilot? Maybe. See, this is how distinctive these vehicles are. I don't remember that. That sounds cool. Um, the third row in this vehicle is usable. You've got um, a decent amount. You've got about an, an inch more headroom than you do in the in the non-grand version of the Highlander. And you've got a significant amount more um, legroom, closer to five inches more, more legroom in the third row. And the other seats, the second row is also improved um, over, the, over the regular Highlander as well. So this is thoroughly... Um, it's meant to be a more uh, family-friendly vehicle. There's also more cargo room. You'll find four more uh, cubic feet of storage when all seats are up and a maximum of like 13 more cubic feet when all when all seats are down, which is you great. You said 40 more? With the seats four, more four, four more. With one, four more with the seats up and uh, 13 when all, them, when all of them are down. Hmm. What is that in total when they're all down? 97.5. So that's, you know, I mean, good, I guess. I felt that it was very good. I felt it was good. Um, the There are some elements of the vehicle that I think need some assistance. Trim. Um, this is not something that I thought Toyota was particularly shabby about, but the trim in the vehicle, the plastics, can feel fairly hollow and scratchy and, and cheap. I think it's the best way to describe them. I was not impressed. There are so many different elements of the vehicle that just seem flimsy. Not not high-end. Absolutely not high-end. And I drove that $60,000 model. It just didn't feel like uh, it was worth that much money when you look beyond the powertrain. And compared to the normal Highlander, mm -hmm. do you feel the same way? Or does the lower price point of the normal Highlander kind of mask some of that? I do think the lower price point of the standard Highlander does mask that. And there are some, like... There's more um, personality, I think, with the interiors of the Highlander. And that's saying a lot because I don't think it has a lot of personality to begin with. But you can get, um, you know, these XSE models or XLE models that feel and have a little bit more um, uniqueness among the among the Highlander trims. And I didn't feel that way about the standard um, Grand, uh, the Grand Highlander in any way. So we know that there is a a Lexus version of this platform coming very soon called the TX. That's right. Do yeah. you think so, that there's any chance that the reason the Highlander kind of feels a little cheap is because they're protecting the TX? Because if I'm looking at the pricing of, you know, $58,000 for a top tier Highlander, what is a TX going to cost? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, is it going to start at 60? I mean... Yeah. I think 100%, I think they're trying to protect the TX. I also think that in, in, in a way, I think that the Grand Highlander exists so that Lexus can have... A very good three row. Um, I think I think Lexus in particular has been struggling to get a good three row. Oh, for sure. Um, trying to put it, in, trying to cram it in the LX, which uh, doesn't the work RX, because sorry, it has trying to cram it in the RX. Yeah, which was work. which was terrible. And then there's the LX, which is really not. I mean, so we've it's talked. It's not about, a family friendly car. Right? No, it's like, very expensive. But also on top of that, we've talked in the past about how the LX tries to maintain the golden ratio thing that that yeah. Toyota has for its off-road vehicles, wherein, like, the wheelbase of an LX hasn't changed since, I think, the Land Cruiser from the 90s. Like, they've kept the same proportions. So mm -hmm. while the rest of the segment has gotten larger and more roomy, the LX has kind of stayed the same, and that's not really worked in its favor. So they've, like, put themselves in this really difficult situation where they can't compete with the three-row crossovers that are finding more popularity in the, in the market. Things like, I think even the XT6 gets a lot of credit. Um, there used to be a an Infinity called the QX60. I think that's still around. I the Lincoln Aviator is a pretty good vehicle in, yeah. in certain trims. Yep. Uh, and then you know you you and I have raved about the BMW X7 sure. and the Audi Q7. But I feel like which, X7 and Q7 are maybe class above anything Lexus has to offer. Do you think um, Genesis QX80? Genesis. I, I do. What I'm saying is Lexus doesn't have, not only do they not have a competitive offering in that class, they don't have anything at all. No. Right? And they haven't so had this, anything at all ever. And this TX will now come in and I think it'll, it, you know, if it's using the bones of this Grand Highlander um, and maybe a little bit more power to compete with some, to, to make more of an emphasis on what they're able to do. Or if they emphasize the hybrid aspects of the, of the vehicle, because fuel efficiency is still, um, I think, a marketable advantage that Toyota and Lexus has. I think they will definitely do that. I think you're right on. And um, I think they'll have a chance. Does that mean that the Grand Highlander is not 
like a is like a a filler product, kind of. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've talked in the past again. I keep saying this, but it's, there's so much repetition in the SUV industry that we, mm-hmm. we kind of have to keep bringing up these points. And the fact is, so many of these vehicles are designed to fill white space in showrooms. They're not designed for any other reason. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's not that I didn't love the Grand Highlander. It will work for those who need it, definitely. Do you need it? That's like my weirdest question that I'll have to ask. I don't the, know. The do you, do you want to pay more for it too? Like that's the other thing. Yeah. Yes. Are so, you going to be satisfied with every couple, couple of days a year using the not so great rear seat or sorry, third row seat in the regular Highlander? Or do you want to spend like $10,000 more on a vehicle yeah. and still only use it two days out of the year? And it uses, uses more fuel and it's harder to park, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. And you have or, to deal with stink, eye, stink eye from the Grand Cherokee owner who yeah. is parked beside you at the mall. Um, or do you want to go, you know what? I always, I always like to like, you know, in, in video gaming, there's like a concept of min maxing where you want to like, you want to accentuate what you're going for. And to me, I, I prefer that. You've seen my garage. I have a, a very small sports car on one end and a, and a practical vehicle on the other. Giant, enormous garage too. Like <laughs> you can play a soccer game in between these two vehicles. But I think the idea of having a vehicle that, that does what it's supposed to do, as good as it does. And to me, I think minivans are exceptionally um, practical. Um, they're affordable. They're good on gas. And they're they're unbelievable. Pra- they're they're under, unbelievably practical. So if you want that, you know, passenger hauling capability or cargo hauling capability, the Sienna will really do that. And it comes with the, with the hybrid powertrain that's really efficient. And I believe it's all-wheel drive as well. But so. it's also quite expensive. Like, I, I I agree with everything you just said about minivans, but the problem with minivans is they've essentially become luxury items for the okay. most part. Okay, okay. That's fine with me because the Grand Highlander is not cheap. And it the only advantage it's ha- it has is that it's offered as a 360-horsepower model. And, and the so other advantage it has is it doesn't look like a minivan. And <laughs> so many people have a mental block about that when they're purchasing a vehicle. That's very true, yes. Um, some small things that I noticed about the Grand Highlander. Um, I couldn't find a storage space for the cargo cover. Is that weird? Did you just leave it on the side of the road? No, I just, you know, I just put it back in its place, which I think wasn't... It's, I don't think that's appropriate. I mean, I have a, a 13-year-old Subaru that has a space under the, the cargo area for me to put my... My cargo cover. I think it's unusual to have that these days. I feel like more and more oh. car companies are just like, nah, forget it. Use it or forget leave it at home. Okay. Second thing, no way to fold down the rear seat um, with like buttons on the on, in the cargo area. There's just a, a an array of straps that you have to like pull and push. Or what? Like a puppet puppeteer setup? Like for <laughs> yeah. fifty eight thousand dollars, I need I need I'm not folding my own seats. Do you, so I'm not the only one that's a little caught off by that, right? Yeah, so, that you know, basically hard. you go to the cargo area and you realize that you've got more things than you than than you have space for. So you know, you want to fold down the third row. In order to do that in the in the in the Grand Highlander, there's two straps, one for each uh, half of the third row. I've already stopped to, paying attention. That you, have you to said pull. two straps. I'm like, I'm out. I'm just you never folding pull. these seats. <laughs> And then push forward. I think pulling them kind of like unlocks them. And then push forward. And then I, I know we were driving prototypes. Enter the combination code. The zero zero the, zero. <laughs> destruct. It's one two three four. Zero. You know this. Um, the headrests of this third row are supposed to fold in before it reaches, you know, the fold flat spot. And they yeah. didn't a couple of times. So they yeah. just end up hitch, hitching on the second row. Instant and I'm really awesome. like. It, I'm unimpressed, especially because I remember starting off in this in this industry driving the Ford Flex, which is, you know, it's a dead product now. We, we can we can talk about the Ford Flex very candidly without anyone coming after us. R.I.P. Flex. But, but it had power folding rear, third row seats and I think even second row seats that you could control from the cargo area. Yeah. Do you remember this? Of course. And I'm thinking like that was several years ago. On a product that was probably the same price as this. And Toyota's being outdone here. Like, it, that's not great. It's almost like sometimes Toyota just doesn't do things that everyone else has been doing for a long time. Like, say, battery-powered electric vehicles. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, Any, anything so, else you want to say about the, the Highlander, Grand Highlander, before we wrap it up? Yeah, one big thing that I do like about Toyotas nowadays is that they're arriving with a... a much more modern infotainment system. 
Um, this one as well also has those voice-activated digital assistants, so you can say, hey, Toyota. No, thank um, you. And it, no, thank you. And it turns on. Me and my co-pilot noticed that if you just say anything that sounds closely resembling Toyota, like "Hey Boyota" or "Hey Joyota," it would open. It would. It would. It would think it's. Well, if you change the first consonant on Toyota, it recognizes that. That's, that's yeah. shocking. <laughs> that is some deep throat level reporting. <laughs> well, I also told us to tell us a boke, and it and it decided to tell us a joke instead, which is great. What kind of jokes could this? Oh, I don't even want to know. I don't no, want to don't hear wanna what machine learning Toyota thinks is funny. Um, How many but, humans does it take to generate enough blood to, to, to lubricate the machinery of the AI apocalypse? Yes, that that was one of the jokes. The answer is all of them, that, Sammy. I didn't find it that funny. But, no, of course not. Um, I do think that they're capable of more. I think this is a great um, first jump into this into this white space it's very narrow white space i think that the refresh will be better especially as they learn from the upcoming lexus model what customers really want in this segment and what they're willing to pay for i can't wait for grand palisade to show up and just be like so much better <laughs> where would they put all the extra space in the grid i think they, they gr- should make it height wise grand That's highlander great. is like a single generation vehicle because of that it's like the <laughs> fj cruiser it's just like one and oh. done i want an fj so speaking of vehicles that are not one and done, um, I drove as Sammy spoiled earlier in the in the podcast the RX 350H, which is the most popular Lexus of all time. They sell like hundreds of thousands of RXs every year. It's one of the strongest selling SUVs. Period, like luxury or not, and it has been since almost the beginning. Sammy, have you driven this vehicle? The new one, I haven't. I haven't um, booked in a few weeks, and I have uh, a model known as the RX 500H, which I think uses the same powertrain as this Grand Highlander, the hybrid max powertrain. Okay, so I'm not going to talk too long about this vehicle, but... Why? We haven't talked about it yet. Yeah, you know, but it's it's really up to me, isn't it? Okay, fine. So the, the RX has always been uninteresting to drive. And that is by design. It is a, a luxury appliance. It was very good at being comfortable, quiet being extremely practical, lots of lots of room inside, et cetera, et cetera. And then like, I don't know, eight, seven, eight years ago, it took a, a hard turn towards being style first. And they introduced a design language that was polarizing to a lot of people. Uh, it became a much more extroverted vehicle from the outside. The rest of the package though didn't really change. Um, aside from the kind of like the ill-fated extended L version, it still did everything it was supposed to do in pretty much exactly the same way. And uh, I have to say the 2023 model, it's a redesign and it follows essentially the same playbook. It's it's more muted on the outside than it was in the past. Okay. But Lexus has kind of taken a Y mess with perfection attitude towards this. Everything else about the Lexus RX is perfectly fine for the most part. Um, it's still pretty comfy. It has a decent interior. It has a, a surprising amount of room in the second row and in the cargo area. I, I hauled a bunch of plants and stuff home from the hard, hardware store. I hauled a bunch of stuff home from my storage unit, like really big, oversized, bulky items. All I had to do was flip the seat down and it worked perfectly. I didn't have any issues with it. So I was I was impressed with that aspect of it. Like you pointed out, Toyota has been moving to better infotainment. The RX gets... An actual touchscreen with no trackpad on the center console. So that terrible, 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 borderline dangerous interface is gone. That's okay. that's something to celebrate with this car. That is great, yes. But aside from that, not any real changes. Like, it's still, you know, modestly luxurious inside. Like, it looks good, but it's not overwhelmingly spiffy. Um, you're not going to be super impressed with the features, but you'll be happy with them. Uh, the interior materials are quite nice, but it doesn't blow you away. Like, if you were to put an RX beside any Genesis, you would instantly be able to see the extra effort Genesis has made at interior design. But yeah. you wouldn't be unhappy with the Lexus. You'd be like, okay, I get it. This is like, you know, this is luxury. The Genesis is trying harder. Um, it's kind of that feel. Like, it's it's hard to penalize them for it, Sammy. I think that's important to bring up. I think we've seen with Genesis um, and some other automakers that are really trying to push the concept of luxury cars luxury cars requiring detail or detail-oriented design. Um, and it feels like over the long period of time in which Lexus has seen success, they've been able to rely on the reputation for being um, well-built, uh, reliable, and durable vehicles. For sure. This is, this is a vehicle that, like, 
You yeah. buy it because you're told to buy it. You buy it because yeah. you don't really care about driving. You want something you're not going to have to worry about that has all the features that you need and that other people will see the badge, recognize that it's a Lexus, understand that you made a luxury choice. It's it's very much a, a triumph of marketing. Like they've taken a very competent product and then given it a sheen and then polished that sheen year after year after year. And it's become like a self-perpetuating monster. Like this is... This thing is just going to keep on selling. It's it's like it's like in a sense the Fast and Furious movies in terms of popularity, but if it if, if Fast and Furious had just stayed like like a movie about people who were stealing DVD players, like if they hadn't actually expanded the aspirations but it maintained its popularity, that's kind of what the Lexus RX is. Um, I mean, I think that a lot of people um bought the RX as one of their probably like their only luxury car purchase. And I've been happy with them because, you know, it got them into the luxury car door and it set the standard enough from a mainstream automaker or mainstream brand that made them feel comfortable and happy with their choice and they could live with it forever. Like, yeah, and you can forever. move up from, you know, a Toyota experience, kind yes. of like a lateral move to Lexus in terms of you're already in the ecosystem, you're comfortable with it. It's a different dealership. They treat you a little bit better there. They're not super expensive. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they don't even get super expensive. Like... I think that the, the there's a, the turbo version of this car is in like the high 40s. Uh, I, that's that's something I, I kind of want to get into. I said turbo, I kind of got ahead of myself. Um, but it, it hovers around like the, the the mid to high 40s and then into the 50s. Like it's not it's not excessive. Uh, I like those that pricing. That sounds fair. Yeah, and and the biggest change, if we're going to talk about change, is the engine. So okay. Um, the, the Lexus RX has always had a V6. And for the last mm-hmm. long time, it's been a three and a half liter V6, which is like kind of the calling card of pretty much most Lexus products. But for this year, it's gone turbo four for the base model. And then the 350 is a, a hybrid version of a four cylinder car. Uh, like and, and then there's the 500H, which has the um, the same drivetrain as what you were driving. Yeah. So the one I drove is like right in the middle. It's 246 horsepower. This is the weakest part of the entire package. Did you? That's a shame. That's such a shame. Now, this is ostensibly the same general drivetrain that you can find in like the Rav Four and the Venza and other Toyota models that use the same kind of tur- yeah. same kind of four cylinder plus electric motor kind of deal. It's the um, same powertrain that's in the Grand Highlander two forty six. You said right? Yeah. So, did you yeah. drive that powertrain? Yes, I did. And what was it like? Like, I don't mean power wise. I mean, what was it <clears> like <throat> in terms of feel? It was a tiny bit rubber bandy. Is my experience? It was my experience. It felt like a CVT, even though I know that eCVTs are a bit different. Um, there were moments when you heard the gas engine fire up, and that was really not, you know, it, it didn't sound right. Like it just is buzzy and noisy. Um, but other than that, I didn't have any strong feelings for it, or you know, it, it did it did what it was supposed to do. It got it moving, but I don't expect Grand Highlander to be particularly fleet or anything like that right quick not at all so the the rx that i drove had a very similar um kind of personality under the hood okay the vehicle was really quiet when it was just you know cruising around on ev power obviously Mm. like at low speeds but as soon as that engine fired up it was like there was a grinding noise from the front of the car to the point where a bunch of times i turned off the stereo because i thought something was wrong with the front end i thought there was something wrong with the suspension or a wheel or something like a like a rolling grinding but no that was actually how the engine sounded and i was extremely surprised because this is a luxury product and lexus is famous for basically building sensory deprivation chambers that don't transmit any road feel or noise from the outside world and to have this kind of going through the firewall into the cabin i found it shocking it was it was truly an abrasive drivetrain and it repeats itself over and over you like you go from quiet to scratchiness from quiet to grindiness you know as as the power as the as the gas engine turns itself on and off and it's a little bit brusque to drive as well so that's really that's really unfortunate because the 3.5 has been around for a very 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 long time it is a known quantity they they gave it um different transmissions when you were getting the gas models uh, i think it, it got up to an eight speed uh in the past generation and like it it worked it did what was what it was supposed to do um and it never felt like um it was trying to steal the show or it never felt like it was it was noticeable yeah it was in the so, background and it was doing what you expect a lexus drivetrain to do to have a new powertrain come in and feel 
on Lexus in, in its operation is a detriment. It's something that will be noticed by people who test drive their vehicles and might turn them off from a vehicle that is usually an easy win for for Lexus dealerships, right? Yeah, it's 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 the most single surprising and disappointing thing about this vehicle. And I'm really curious to see what happens to returning Lexus customers, returning RX customers specifically, because they're going to be used to one very specific type of experience and they're going to get something quite different. Now, I thought that there was going to be a plug-in hybrid version of this car, but I don't think I've seen I don't think it's happened yet. So Yeah, I haven't seen anything like that. There either. is a plug-in hybrid NX, but that's a whole different it's smaller, it's a different vehicle altogether. So maybe I shouldn't talk about that. But um the other element I wanted to wonder, I wanted to ask you about was uh, fuel efficiency. Was it, you know, still a fuel efficient vehicle? It's fine. I mean, I'm trying to find the the actual numbers. I don't know if I have them handy. I think oh, it's 37 miles per gallon around town. Um, nice. And that's pretty much what I experienced when I was driving it. So okay. I mean, you're getting, I guess, something for tolerating all of that grinding. Sure. And then the other the other element was I think in the past generation Lexus has really pushed these F Sport models. Did you have an F Sport model? No, not at all. No. Okay. And great. I don't think that's a direction you really want to go in with um, any Lexus, to be honest. But especially the RX, because this is. I not- absolutely agree with you. I, I don't think F Sport is a is a, you know, is a, a bunch of characteristics that accentuate the Lexus. You it's know, like if you experience. want a bumpier. A, a, a stiffer, bumpier SUV that doesn't handle any better, really? Like, it's not, yeah. you're not really going to get an exciting driving experience because it doesn't provide you with any drivetrain upgrades, really, either. So you're kind of stuck with, like, well, we tu- we we made this less pleasant to drive. Here you go. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> um, and one more fe- one more thing I want to talk about. A luxury car should be well-equipped, loaded, maybe have some, some impressive technology. Anything here that the Lexus RX uh, stood out? Uh, to you about? No, nothing at all. No, no. that's a it's, problem. It's, it's got everything you expect, but there's nothing about it that makes you go wow. I think that's a serious issue. I, I, think I don't know. Le- I don't think I don't at that price point and for the people. I mean, this is a vehicle that's designed to sell to a horde of people who are already wanting. You know, they're expecting what they've already experienced, right? So I, I feel like that works out okay for them. But there's new rivals in the space. There's Genesis. There's there's other automakers that are coming in with with impressive technologies. Not to mention electric powertrains too. That might be more appealing. Might might bring people over. It's and possible, I think but it, I don't think anyone conquests Lexus. I feel like if you're a Lexus customer, you can't really get that anywhere else. You're in. You're in the cult. Now. Yeah, you're <laughs> in the cult, and like you drank the Kool Aid, and you like what Lexus has, and you're going to stay there. Because what are you going to do? Buy a Buick? I don't think so. <laughs> but I mean, you could get a Lincoln Aviator and be happy with that. But right? it's like, like that's it's a, absolutely totally different product. Like I, I feel I like I know, but if you're gonna move up, if you're thinking of like switching out of your RX, your your five year old RX or whatever it might be, you might be like, there's nothing here that's that interesting. Yeah, but, but that's not a Lincoln, fault of the RX though. Like if you're, I'm, we're talking about RX. We're not talking about RX and then the next step up, which is going to be the TX. We're talking about sure RX competing against itself. Okay, you know, fine. Similar size. Yeah, that's fair. So there is one more right. thing. There is one more thing I wanted to talk about this week, and that's I had a really unique experience this past weekend um, on my way to and from the racetrack. Uh, I I was driving the new 2023 Cadillac Escalade ESV, so like the extended wheelbase model. And okay. when I say driving, I wasn't really driving because I did 800 miles of towing my race car without with my hands basically folded on my lap the entire time. What are you talking about? So, huh? so GM has super, oh, super cruise. Okay, yes. Yeah. yeah. Super cruise. And super cruise is a, a technology we both like uh, in the sense that it's the best out of the existing assisted driving assistant features that, you know, anything that will make the, the current version of super cruise uses hyper accurate mapping, a bunch of sensors, and it can not only stay in its lane and adjust speeds and stuff like that. But it can also automatically pass if it detects the vehicle in front of you is too slow. It'll take a look to the side, see if there's room, and it'll make the tr- make the uh, pass and stuff. It does all this stuff really well. For this year, GM has added a towing feature to Super Cruise where it knows that it's pulling a trailer. It knows basically how long the trailer is and how heavy it is. It calculates extra space that it needs to keep between vehicles around it in order to you know have enough room to brake. And the only feature it doesn't... Can, it doesn't carry over from regular Super Cruise when you're towing is automatic lane changes. So you have to do okay. those yourself. But everything else works according to plan. So I decided to test it out. I, I drove my Datsun 
onto a trailer, attached that trailer to the Escalade, and I drove down to Palmer Motorsports Park in Massachusetts. It's about a five and a half hour drive each way. And I didn't drive the entire time. The only time I drove was when I was just leaving or just entering Montreal because there's some construction zones. It gets a little hairy and you can't always see the lines on the road. Sammy, how did it go for me, do you think? Well, what's your what's your guess? Well, look, I mean, the last towing story you told me was about your Grand Wagoneer and it swaying wildly and being uncomfortable up hills and in the rain and stuff like that. So I have to admit, it it can't be worse than that, right? So I was <laughs> shocked at how well the system works. Um, I mean, of course. I mean, if we're impressed with Super Cruise, how much, you know, it, it, Super Cruise with a towing, with, with a towing aspect, that's the next step, I think, right? I guess. I mean, if for SUVs and trucks, but, you know, not for every vehicle. I mean, you're not really going to be towing with your with your uh, CT5, but no, um, it worked very, very well. There mm. were not very many instances <clears throat> where Super Cruise could not find lines on the road. And whenever it did pop up, this kind of issue it's excellent at alerting you and, and letting you know that's happening so for those who are unfamiliar one of the best things about super cruise is there's a like a big like green led that's lit into the uh steering wheel at the very top and when it's green the system is working when it's having trouble figuring things out it starts to flash green it'll turn blue when it disengages it'll also mm-hmm. flash red if it has to disengage quickly it's it, essentially you're never uncertain as to whether it's working or not which is like a big step up over other driving assistance. Um, the issue I did have with it was on certain roads, it was strange. As soon as I crossed the border into Vermont, the Escalade started pinballing a bit. From, okay. and, and that's when it moves from one line on the outside of the lane to the line on the inside of the lane so, and then back again. And when you have a trailer, that kind mm-hmm. of movement is amplified because the trailer is, it's not swaying, but it, it's the very beginnings of what that could feel like. And that only really happened when I was in the U.S., which is a little bit strange. Um, and it would happen from time to time. I would steady the wheel. It would sometimes fix it. It, it never got out of control, but it's something that's a little worrying when, you have a, when, when you're towing a trailer. Now, does that mean that it didn't have, like, updated maps or something like that? Why would it be doing that? So why couldn't it see the lines? That's so interesting I to I me. I don't know. It did see the lines because it, it, it wasn't crossing yeah. them. You so know? why it didn't want to center itself in the in those lines? That's very, or maybe the maybe the trailer was pushing it a bit, right? It's possible the trailer was pushing <clears> it. Um, it's possible it was a tongue weight issue from the trailer because U-Haul trailers have a lot of tongue weight. Okay. Uh, the other thing too is there could have been ruts in the road that the trucks oh, were okay. sensitive to. Because of the trailer, but we're talking like upstate Vermont. It's not a heavily trafficked area, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure really what the what the answer to that is. Although there was a crazy rainstorm at one point, like I'm talking low visibility rainstorm, and the Super Cruise worked very well during that. It, it was it didn't have any issues or any problems. It didn't it didn't create any pinballing itself. Um, I I only had to take over a couple of times when it seemed to disengage for reasons I didn't understand. And then it would almost immediately re-engage. The only thing that I had to do differently for my own driving is I tend to signal a lane change on the highway when I've already initiated the lane change, which I guess is not the best behavior because mm-hmm. when you do that, Super Cruise thinks you're trying to pull it out of the lane without signaling and it'll fight you a little bit because it's trying to keep you in the lane. It'll flash red and then it will turn blue to let you know it's no longer on until you've completed the lane change. If you hit the turn signal first, it knows you're going to make the lane change. It doesn't fight you. It's smoother. And then you stop your, your turn signal and it recenters itself and it's fine. So I had to learn to do like the turn signal maybe a second or two before I initiated the turn for a lane change just to avoid that um, kind of tugging from the wheel. Once I figured that out, it was just gravy. Now, this is something that I think, you know, in general, Super Cruise is something that is fairly... Um, unique in the industry. I don't think there's a lot of other automakers that are keeping up with this kind of technology. I think a lot are trying to say that they can do it, but I don't think anyone does it as good as Cadillac has so no, far. No, and there's there's even systems where if you have like a tow hitch attached, it freaks out because it thinks someone's standing directly behind the vehicle, right? It can't. Yeah. There's some vehicles that have a lot of issues with tow with rear parking sensors when you have a trailer attached, and the Cadillac it knows as soon as you've attached it, like it'll it'll either automatically engage tow haul mode for the transmission, or it will suggest it. Like when you turn on the car, it puts a reminder on the dash that says maybe use tow haul mode. There's a whole series of checklists in the vehicle. There's a towing 
trailering kind of section of the infotainment. And you can run through a checklist to make sure you've connected everything properly. You can do a light test. Um, you can figure out your trailer braking if, you, if you're so equipped. It, it's really well set up to do what I think a lot of people actually do with full-size SUVs like the Escalade. So I was impressed with all of that. And, and it's all plug and play. Like there's nothing special you had to do. I didn't have to tell Super Cruise there was a trailer. It knew because it was plugged in and it could see it with the sensors. That is really impressive. I think that's great. There's, um, a, there's a funny thing though, Sammy. Um, okay, what's so going on? The rearview mirror has the camera system. Yeah. Which most Cadillacs have these days. So you can either yeah. use it as a regular mirror or you can access an HD camera that shows you like a wide view of the rear. But if you use the HD camera while you're towing, basically it just shows like the front end of the vehicle that you're towing, like it's immediately behind you. Yeah, <laughs> and it looks like you're being tailgated. It's totally useless. Like you can't use it at all. You can't see the trailer. It's oh. it's just blocking everything. So with the with the regular rearview mirror, yeah, some of it's blocked by what you're towing, but you have a wider field of view. So I thought that was pretty funny. Cool. Um, I'm impressed. I, I do think that more vehicles should have Super Cruise. I think um, GM should be doing way more advertising or marketing about um, Super Cruise, I think it's a fantastic product, and we don't even have as many mapped roads or highways in 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 Canada than the U.S. does. So, you know, it's impressive that even when we have limited access to to that functionality, we're impressed. Imagine if you had all the 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 mapped routes that that are available in North America. That's for amazing sure, for sure. And and one thing that was interesting too is I know that in the past Super Cruise used to shut down in construction zones. Oh yeah, but now. I would enter a construction zone and it would warn me that I was entering a construction zone, but it would keep functioning. And there were only a couple of situations where it was like really, really tight because I have a trailer, right? And I have mm. a giant Escalade and we're talking like narrowed, like there was a couple of bridge replacements that I was driving over. So they, they shunt you over to the bridge in the other lane of the interstate and it's like concrete barriers on either side. And I had my hands on the wheel for that just in case, but I never needed it. There was like... Maybe like one or two seconds where I felt the trailer was getting too close to like a guardrail or something in those situations. But that's it over 800 miles. Like one or two seconds over 800 miles is very impressive performance. Great. Okay. Um, before we close up this week's um, podcast, I want to talk about some news that caught our attention. Particularly a couple of weeks ago, BMW announced the new 5 Series and the electric version of the car, which is the i5. And discussed a new feature that lets you change lanes by looking in the mirror. Wait, what? Just looking in the mirror will trigger the lane change function. Is it looking in the mirror or is it tracking eye movement? It's tracking eye movement. Um, so basically when you have the, the hands-off highway system, essentially BMW's Super Cruise um, com- competitor, all you have to do is look into the left or right mirror and the car will activate the turn signal and merge into the desired lane. Uh, what do you think of that? I think that sometimes I look in my mirrors without Just the desire to, to change lanes. Yeah. Because, so what this is making me think is if I'm driving a BMW with this feature, I'm going to have to like keep my head in like a straight jacket so that I'm not like changing lanes every two seconds or however. You know you're supposed to scan your mirrors like every 10 seconds. You do like a full scan of like yeah. each side. So you wouldn't be able to do that with this car. No. So I think that's really funny because to me these um, – Face or eye tracking vehicles, they're supposed to be making sure that you're paying attention to what's on the road. Um, this one is is not doing that, right? Like it's asking you to to use your eye, the face tracking and eye tracking to do something on the road, which it's I don't a- think is. It's asking that- you to use your eyes to do something that your hands can easily do and, in fact, are designed to do almost. It's almost like our hands are meant to use the turn signal and the steering wheel. The other thing that's kind of crazy about this system is um, it will automatically leave the highway if you have, I guess, navigation knows when an exit is coming. Yeah. And it will start doing that three miles before the exit and it will move three over. Miles. <laughs> it'll move over as many as nine lanes. Okay. I've Three never miles t- is too many. I need to know what highway has nine lanes of. I've of never lanes. seen a nine-lane highway that's in my an life. Air, that's our airport runway. Not even in Mexico City did I see like nine-lane <laughs> highways. Um, but once you get 656 feet, very specific, before the exit, you have to take mm-hmm. over. You have to put your hands on the wheel. Three miles is a lot, man. Like, if it's like changing lanes, I'll, I'll, I'll be questioning the vehicle. And Sammy, what if it's doing this like automatic exit thing and I start looking to the left with my eyes? Oh, yeah. Like, do I fight it? And if I fight it, is it like going to start turning on the heated seat to like discipline me and be like, no, we're exiting now. Stop. Stop. Just let it happen. Just let it happen. Yeah. 
the the BMW digital assistant is quite um, it's strict, definitely. If you ask it to tell you a joke, it won't. That's my least favorite thing about it. This is this um, really reminds me of. <laughs> Um, in terms of features that nobody asks for, nobody needs, this reminds me of the BMW gesture controls where you accident while you're talking to a friend and you make or you're listening to cool music and you do a fist pump and it mutes the music that you were just talking yeah. out to. Except in this case, y- you could, you know, theoretically merge into the side of a bus. Like it's, it's, it's like I, it, the I stakes are really different. It won't merge if something is there. I think that's what I'm reading. The stakes are very um, different. Also, what's interesting is like the photo of the person using the system in in the press release. They're driving like a camouflaged car, so the the whole interior is like draped with like leather fabrics. Yeah. <laughs> it looks strangely formless. They even covered the BMW logo on the steering wheel, which seems <laughs> odd to me because it's a it's a press photo. We know what yeah. it is. That's I don't know. It's wild. Um, I'm curious to see how it'll work in, in action. I do think BMW are, are the masters of like gimmicky, um, un, unnecessary features, but they pull them off, and you know they impress people in a way. So I, I'm not going to be impressed when someone looks over at and 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 you know, I, honestly, this is. It should you ever take a look at a cool car and suddenly next thing you know you're changing lanes? Yeah, exactly. It, it shouldn't be this effortless to change lanes. Like it's not something that I'm doing <laughs> 60 to 70 times a trip, you know? Like it's it's yeah. Oh man, it's just crazy. Like what happens if I look straight ahead and then look up? Does it like pop a wheelie? Yeah, of course. It'll open the hood, obviously. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> if I could just look at my car and the hood pops, that's so much easier than me reaching under to try and find the hidden lever. Because the and company... don't forget with BMWs, you have to do it twice. Yeah, well, with my Jeep, I do too for like different oh, yeah. a- age-related reasons. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, so if if you if you are afraid of a future where looking from one side to the other could spell certain doom for you and everyone around you, um. You can reach out and tell us about it. Uh, Sammy and I are on social media. Sammy prefers a cesspool. It is Twitter. He is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. I'm on the more friendly Instagram at Hunting Benjamin. Or you can email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Or you can go to UnnamedAutomotivePodcast.com. There's a contact form. You fill it out. You click submit. And you can, you know, confess your fears, your worries, or tell us a really cool story about a car that's completely unrelated to BMW's unusual technology. We're up, we're up for that, too. I would uh, appreciate that. But I think the best idea is that you head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You fill out that form. It lands in our inbox. And uh, additionally, while you're at our website, you can see all of our previous episodes as well as some photos that we've uh, taken with the, with the vehicles we're talking about. Using cameras. Yeah, I think that's the way it works. Real cameras. Um, what are we talking about next week, man? Sammy, next week I am going to be talking about the Acura Integra. Specific, nice. okay. Specifically the manual transmission Acura Integra. I, uh, I, I've i actually recently driven that, so I can chime in on, on your thoughts of, about that. But I'll be talking about um, a new Lamborghini, actually. A Lamborghini that I should have been talking about a long time ago. It's the uh, Huracan Storado, I believe is the name. and Or, yeah, Storado. Serato? So what makes the Storato so interesting? I mean, this it's, is this is it's like an all-wheel drive model. It's all-wheel drive. I mean, not, this... It's an off-road model. Sorry. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say this is conservatively the twelfth version of the Huracan <laughs> that you've driven in the last two years. So I knew yeah. I knew there was something about it that was different. I just couldn't. It's remember. off-roady. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for listening. And uh, if you have questions for Sammy about his off-roady experience with the Storato or questions about my shifting experience with the Integra, please reach out. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, guys. Talk to you later.